It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself in the world, but it don't need something in your own head. Beat it up and I've got no people. And I'm fucking tired with the fear fight down. Like fire in the fire, Mr. Jim's other gangs in the government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, but you're beating it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. It's the end. Oh, oh, no, it is not the end of the world. It is the hour of doom, as we know it. (laughs) (laughs) And bloom, as we know it. That's right. That's right. Hey, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour. A happy home in a horrific, horrible, horrendous... (laughs) How about happy? Happy. Just happy In a happy world. (laughs) I'm Joel Nemdi, also known as Dr. Bones. Of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find 850 posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And clearly, the hostess with the mostess, our mission to put a medically prepared person in every family for any disaster. Together, we are the watchers on the wall, and we watch it all for you. I promise to help you keep it together, even when everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with a petulant panther or something <laughs> like that? In a in a pampered paradise? There you go. No, wait, right. that's blue. No, I like that. That was actually pretty good. <laughs> but that's the bloom part. Well, our attorney says, don't call us, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, and listen to this. All information given and Opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the host and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care wherever and whenever it is available. Absolutely modern, standard medical care. Boy, is it so awesome. I guess in normal times, you'd be crazy not to take advantage of it, (laughs) but you got to learn how to deal with injuries and illness in times of disaster. If you do, have no doubt, you will save lives one day. Hey, what's up, Buttercup? We learn as much from you as you do from us guaranteed so connect with us it is so easy here's nurse amy to tell you how absolutely you can contact us anytime at drbonespodcast at aol.com find us on facebook at our group survival medicine dr bones and nurse amy we also have a page doom and bloom and also another facebook page dr bones and nurse amy show you can follow us on twitter at prepper show and don't forget our youtube channel 
at DR Bones Nurse Amy and our other podcast about current events That's called American Survival Radio. Yes, and we have a video cast the first Wednesday of every month at AroundTheCabin.com. And don't forget our brand spanking new third edition 700 wonderful pages of the new Survival Medicine Handbook, The Essential Guide for When Medical Help is Not on the Way, now available on Amazon. And our book on Zika, the Zika Virus Handbook, you might benefit from knowing a little bit about these subjects. Absolutely. Now, I just want to say one thing about the Survival Medicine Handbook. People say, well, how is it different? What's new? Well, let me explain to you what that book is. Imagine that you could reach into your computer or your smart device and grab everything of significance off of our website and throw it on paper and then organize it. And throw, put it in your survival library. Throw a little pictures in it, put a cover on it, and there you go. Our book is like having our website, doomandbloom.net, in your handy hands if there's no internet. It That's is right. our resource made specially for you to have and to use if you're in a situation where, gosh, you just can't Google it. Right. You're off the grid. Well, let's see. We are actually not off the grid, but we are <laughs> no, away no, from exactly. our home base in South Florida. Yeah. We are in a Zika-free zone, hopefully, in Lawrenceville. I have seen a few Skeeters, though. Yes, that's true. They do exist here. Hopefully, they don't have any strange viruses in them i know you know it was really funny we drove to my dad's house he lives south of atlanta uh, in a town called mcdonough if anyone knows georgia and today when we were hanging out and you were doing some radio interviews which you can mention in a second i went outside because my dad was having mosquito spraying done because it's done once a month yes that's right not necessarily because he wants to prevent Zika, but because they have a whole lot of mosquitoes out in the country where they live. So it was uh, quite interesting to have seen on television all these mosquito spraying and programs down in Miami. And then I go visit my dad, and there's a guy out there with a little spacesuit uh, backpack with the big sprayer and the fog going all over. By the way, I asked the guy what was in there. Because uh, it kind of had a unusual smell. I went out there to take a couple pictures of him for future articles. And he said that not only is the, the pesticide in there, which he didn't tell me which one it was, but he told me they put rosemary and peppermint essential oils in it. Wow. Yeah. How about that? So they use some organic pest control along with the chemical pest control. Well, the more they do use organic type items in these sprays the less likely they'll kill pollinators like honeybees and exactly. things like that so exactly. that is actually a pretty a pretty good it was thing pretty cool i know well it, it, hopefully it means they're using less of the chemicals and more of the natural so like you said they don't kill a lot of natural bugs that live around that aren't causing any harm that's right and if you want to use a natural mosquito repellent when you go outside Consider oil of lemon eucalyptus. It's approved by the Environmental Protection Agency. It's supposed to be safe and effective. 
even for pregnant ladies. So this is a awesome natural product you can use. And I have some in the car. I, not yep. only that, but I blended it with um, witch hazel. So uh-huh. it makes a light spray that absorbs nicely. And I added some citronella and some lemongrass. So mm-hmm. that's why our natural insecticide or repellent, I should say. Ah. Insect repellent smells so wonderful. Maybe that's a Lemony great fresh. new product, Nurse Amy's <laughs> Magical Natural Mosquito Repellent. There you go. Well, that is <laughs> is awesome. Well, anyhow, we are up here in Lawrenceville, Georgia for an RK Prepper show. The guys that uh, handle it, uh, Randy Curley is one of the owners of it. He's mm-hmm. a great guy. He always... Makes us feel comfortable wherever we go, and oh, you guys awesome. do too out there. You, I have to say, we always get Everyone's warm so welcome. Nice. Yes, warm from welcome from the vendors, the exhibitors, to the people who come to visit. It's just wonderful to get out and meet people. This is why we love it. It was a long drive, folks. We hit some traffic coming from South Florida yeah, to Atlanta. Yeah, that was a drag. I seventy five is always having some sort of construction south of Atlanta, but it's worth it. We enjoy it. When we went over to South Carolina, we ran into some traffic. But, you know, what are you going to do? That's the life. I'm just glad I'm not a trucker. I I give kudos and respect to truckers. Yeah, they what really What they go. deal with yes. on a daily basis. Oh, my goodness. It's almost like life. I mean, it really is a life and death job. You have to be so careful, so conscious of everyone around you because there's a lot of people not paying attention. I'm really getting tired of seeing people texting while yep. they're driving and they're swerving all over the place, and it's scary. Well, I'll tell you, if you have food on the table, thank the truckers. Yes, that's, that's true. Abs- so abs- true. Absolutely true. Well, we're going to also be in other places after this weekend. If you're in Lawrenceville or near or north of Atlanta, feel free to come by and say hi at the Arcade Prepper Show. Yes. But and we I, will also be... Well, I want to mention what this weekend is. So people know the date if they hear this in the future. It's August 27th and 28th, 2016. And yes, next show is September 7th and 8th, 2016 in Lakeland, Florida. That is the Self-Reliance Expo. We'll be doing our suture class on Friday, September 7th for that one. Yep, that's a great skill to learn. And also we talk about all sorts of situations where you may not want to do that, but may want to take care of a wound that's open and deal with it in other ways so that it heals from the inside out. So it's not just a how to flick your wrist to throw a stitch class. <laughs> Absolutely. The following weekend, we will be in St. Louis. Missouri. That, that, right. Yeah, Missouri. And that's going to be a, gate, a gateway expo. And our final show for the fall, at least, will be October 15th and 16th. I think it's... It's either 14 and 15 or 15 and 16, Saturday and Sunday, and we'll do a suture class on Sunday morning, and that is going to be in Cincinnati. Cincinnati, it's Ohio. It's called the Cincy Expo. That's right. So that's uh, so now you know where Fun we're going to be. And we're driving to that one, too. We're driving, <laughs> driving, driving, man. We are being put, being driven crazy. We're going to put a lot of mileage on our truck, honey. That's right. You know, I wanted to talk a little bit about survival medicine in general. You know, that's something we really haven't done on this show in a long time. Usually we talk about a particular disaster. We're going to be talking about earthquakes uh, just a little bit later. And 
maybe a particular medical problem that you might encounter in a long-term collapse. Mm -hmm. but, but really, we should talk about the actual topic of survival medicine. What is really survival medicine? You know, most medical guides that you see that are outdoor guides or wilderness, wilderness guides or tactical guides, they're intended to help you manage emergencies in, let's say, austere scenarios or tactical scenarios. An austere scenario is one where modern help is unavailable due to its remoteness. It could also pertain to the aftermath of a disaster, any situation really where you're off the grid for a period of time. And certainly modern medical care isn't readily available on, say, uh, an ocean voyage, a wilderness hike, things like that. And you could even say the same of trips to urban areas in some underdeveloped countries. Now, there are medical strategies for these mostly short-term scenarios. Yeah, that They're widely published, they're reasonable, they're effective, and they're excellent books that tell you all about that. And there, there's actually an entire medical education system that exists to deal with limited wilderness, disaster, even battlefield situations, and it's served by a big industry of supplies and equipment. You could expect that eventually the rescue helicopter will be on the way. And in normal times, of course, you're right. Let's consider what your goals are, though, when an emergency occurs. Now, what are the primary objectives of emergency medicine, like even wilderness medicine, even disaster medicine? They are to evaluate any ill or injured individuals, to stabilize their condition, and then to transport them to the nearest modern medical facility. Okay, now this series of steps... Makes perfect sense, right? You're not a doctor after all. Somewhere there are facilities that have a lot more technology than you have in your backpack. Your priority is to get patients out of immediate danger, then ship them off to others that have the skills to treat them, right? I mean, all of this makes a lot of sense. Now, this not only benefits the person that's been injured or a person that's sick, but allows you to continue on your wilderness adventure. Now, transporting the injured person, I'll admit, may be difficult to do, sometimes very difficult, but you do still have the luxury of being able to eventually pass the buck to those people who have more knowledge, more technology, and certainly more supplies. Now, this is a reasonable, reasonable strategy. Of course it is. One day, though, there might come a time when a pandemic, civil unrest, a terrorist attack might precipitate a situation where the miracle of modern medicine might be unavailable. Indeed, not just unavailable, but maybe a circumstance can occur that's so extreme that the potential for access to modern facilities, plain old, doesn't exist, no longer exists. And we've called this in the past a collapse. In a collapse, you're going to have more risk for illness and injury than on a hike in the woods, sure enough, right? Yet little or no hope of obtaining more advanced care than you yourself can provide. It's not a matter of a few days without modern technology, such as after a hurricane or tornado, perhaps. Help is just not coming, period. Therefore, where the buck stops for the foreseeable future is you. Now, few are prepared to deal with the harsh realities that go along with this. And to go further, very few people are willing to even entertain the possibility that such an occurrence is possible. Not to mention the tremendous burden that's going to be placed upon them if such a thing does happen. And even for those people that are willing, there are few, if any, books that provide any strategies for this drastic turn of events. Yet there are many man-made and natural disasters, and the likelihood of your exposure, your family's exposure, some loved one's exposure, at some point, may not be as small as you think. 
It stands to reason, therefore, that it might be a good idea to obtain some medical knowledge and supplies and perhaps get into a mindset like the lovely nurse Amy and I are in, which is that medications and modern technology may just not be available and you may have to have a plan B, right? Absolutely. Now, there are a lot of great handbooks, medical handbooks, some quite good on wilderness or third world medicine, uh, even like Where There Is No Doctor, an awesome book. But they often end the section with go to the hospital and, immediately. Right, and right. seek medical attention yeah. and get to the hospital and go see a doctor. Um, you know, unfortunately, there are just going to be situations, and there are situations that happen today that that's not an option. And it might not even be that some horrible thing has happened. What might have occurred when you have an injury is that you don't have an ability to contact the outside world. And that's where your issue is, is that your cell phone service doesn't work or your smartphone died and you don't have any kind of charger. If you cannot contact the outside world in order to get help to come to you and for whatever reason you can't get to it, you might as well be in the middle of, of a disaster. The internet might as well be down. The cell phone towers might as well have been destroyed or the, the grid destroyed because it's happening to you and at the moment nobody's on their way to in, help you. You're in deep doo-doo and you need help and you can't tell anybody you need help. So, you know, it's not always that terrible things have happened around you. It might just be that you can't call anybody. That's true. That's true. Well, and, and that is one reason why preppers and people who think about planning for these kind of situations always have plan B, plan C, plan D. So they have two-way radios. They have CBs. They think about getting their um, ham radio license like we did um, and having those options. But, you know, sometimes you're just out for a hike or a, a day trip and you don't know that there's bad cell phone service and somebody breaks their leg. And you didn't think to bring a CB or a satellite phone or, or some other alternative method of communication because you were just going to be gone for a short time. It might be very difficult to transport somebody so, who's injured out of absolutely. the middle of the a vast wasteland you know, somewhere. Drag, you know, let's say you got a broken leg. Am I going to drag you off of a mountain into Well, I help? hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well well she laughed you, I would, hear, you I, heard that you know what i would do my best first well. i would stabilize you and give you some traction you know macgyver a splint and then i would figure out some way to get you out of there babe see that so the bottom line is yes go to the hospital immediately if a hospital exists yes. it's an excellent advice for modern <laughs> times but not very helpful for an uncertain future when hospitals might one day be all out of commission. Those things can happen. We only have to look back at Hurricane Katrina in 2005 to you're, know. You're so right. Everyone right? saw that on television. You saw the people standing on their roofs. They were in their houses. They were surrounded by water. The cell phones were down. The towers were down. There was no electricity. And they couldn't get help. What was the end result of this? The end result was that the majority of the citizens of New Orleans became involuntarily and temporarily their own medical care providers yep. in the aftermath of the storm. That's true. If they didn't have any supplies, if they didn't have any medicines, if they didn't have any first aid equipment, well, they became 
pretty bad medical care providers. Right. But if they were prepared, they actually were able to function. You have to realize that in these kinds of disasters where there are a lot of casualties, medical assistance teams, they're going to be overwhelmed. There's nobody coming to the age of aid of one injured or ill individual when thousands need help simultaneously. That's something that is a, a truth, a hard reality people really don't think about. I know. Each household becomes, therefore, I say, the end of the line when it comes to its own well-being in these situations. Right. So there's got to be a plan B. There, you have to adjust things so that you have a chance to stay healthy and keep your family healthy in case of a disaster. There's floods in Louisiana. There were wildfires in California recently. There's an earthquake in Italy, terrible earthquake in Italy. These things happen, and you got to have some medical supplies. you got to have a little medical knowledge, and you have to try to have the mindset that you have to adopt in a true disaster. Absolutely. That things have changed, maybe for the long term in some cases, and that you might be the highest medical asset your family has. Now, I'll admit this is an enormous responsibility, and many, when they're confronted with it, they'll decide they just can't bear the burden of being in charge of the medical care of others. But there will be others that will find the fortitude to wear that badge that I call survival medic, and these individuals may have may have some medical experience, but most of them are just going to be fathers and mothers, let's say, family members who understand that somebody's got to handle things when medical help is not on the way. Now, if this reality first becomes apparent when somebody's deathly ill in a disaster, that's pretty bad because the likelihood you're going to have the training and supplies needed to be an effective medical caregiver are going to be pretty close to zero. That's a sure way to make certain that when everything else fails, that you are going to fail too. Now, all that is a terrible thought. Now, all our efforts that we do with our writing and with the kits that Nurse Amy puts together, things like that, they're meant to educate and prepare those people who want to ensure the health of their loved ones. And if you can absorb all the information that we teach, get some of the supplies that we have, or that and that other people have too, not just us, you'll be better equipped, although ours are better, right? <laughs> Would you say that? Uh, well, you know, they are custom designed and hand-packed in waterproof bags. By a beautiful woman. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, you Quality <laughs> items, name brand, no knockoffs. I don't get anything from eBay. Sorry, eBay, but you got a lot of people who sell fake stuff. In any case, she's <laughs> as you as you can see, she feels very strongly about it. And I tell you that really compare with anybody else's kits other than Nurse Amy's and you will find that hers are indeed the best. But the bottom line is if you can absorb information if you can accumulate medical supplies you're going to be equipped to handle maybe 90 percent of the emergencies that you'll see if the power goes down and as well you'll have a more realistic view as to what medical issues are survivable without modern care these realities sometimes place you i'll admit between a rock and a hard place oh sure over time you're going to have to make difficult decisions that's part of the deal but we hope to give you the tools to arrive at choices that are going to help you successfully treat injuries and disease. Now, all the information that we have in our books and our website, all this stuff is meant for use in a situation where modern medicine no longer exists. If your leg's broken in five places, it stands to reason that you'll do better in an <laughs> orthopedic. That sounds terrible. Ouch. I all know. I can think of is the pain that that must cause. But if it happens, I admit 
You'll do better in an orthopedic hospital ward than with a splint made out of two sticks and right. strips of your T-shirt. Absolutely. Now, the strategies that we discussed, therefore, are not the most effective means, we'll admit again, of taking care of certain medical problems. Some of them, heck, they're straight out of the last century. That So we have actually right. a collection it's of books that we use to see pre, what they did back then. Exactly. Pre-modern medicine. Right. And, and so we adhere to the philosophy that something's better than nothing. And in a catastrophe, in a catastrophe, that something might just get you through the storm. That's right. Theodore Roosevelt once said, you got to do what you can with what you have where you are. And hopefully society's never going to be poised on the brink of collapse. I mean, oh, that's the last thing that not. we want. Please, please, please. Right. The stuff no. we teach is, is a weapon against, not an argument for the end of the world. Okay, even if we never encounter a long-term survival scenario, however, this stuff that we teach, the things that we talk about, is still going to have its uses. You're going to encounter natural catastrophes, Hurricane Katrina, things like that will always rear their ugly heads, earthquakes, wildfires, floods, this, that, the other thing. I mean, these events are inevitable at one point or another, and... You have to realize that medical personnel are unlikely to be readily available to help you if they have to deal with a bunch of different casualties, maybe heading in the other direction, as a matter of fact. Now, even a few days without access of health, to health care might be fatal in an emergency. That's why you need to know what to do to deal with a lot of medical emergencies, and you need to have some supplies. You're going to gain some precious time for an injured loved one, maybe aid in their recovery. So these are things that are important to realize. Now, I'm not trying to turn you into doctors. You have to realize that in most places, the practice of medicine or dentistry without a license, it's against the law. And none of the skills that you learn or the information that you absorb are, is going to protect you from liability if you implement them good point, honey. where there's a functioning government and there, legal system. That is a good point. That's right. Don't go suturing anybody. Mm -hmm. Unless you have the license in the state to do that. And very few people do have that type of license. Or it's clear that there's not going to be medical help for the foreseeable future. That is something that's important. Yeah. So if you want to become a healthcare provider in a pre-collapse society, then consider getting formal medical education. It'll take time. It'll take energy. It'll take a lot of dedication. But it can be done. People do it all the time. You won't be a physician after listening to this podcast, <laughs> certainly, but you you might actually know a little something more than you did before you listened to the podcast. And in general, if you think about survival medicine and you try to absorb some of the stuff that we talk about, you learn to think about what to do and you become the end of the line in terms of your family's well-being. I mean, you'll... Consider things like preventative medicine. You'll consider sanitation, how to prevent infectious disease from running rampant among your people. You'll have looked at your environment, maybe seen what plants might have medicinal value that are in your area. Uh, maybe put together a medical kit, with, which along with some medications, with some standard equipment, you know, may even include some traditional medications, some natural remedies. And you might even have thought about how to improvise if you're in an austere setting. And so the most important thing that you will get out of it is that you will have a better chance to become medically prepared to face the uncertain future. And we're going to take a very short break. We'll be back. You're listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with... 
Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Thanks for staying with us. We'll be right back. Are you worried about how dangerous the world has become? In these days of terrorist attacks, natural disasters, or even a future collapse, you need to be medically prepared to keep your family safe. I'm Joe Alton, MD of store.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find an entire line of uniquely designed medical kits and supplies for when help is not on the way. For everything from individual first aid kits to the ultimate family medical bag, go to store.doomandbloom.net today. You'll be glad you did it. In these days of terrorists, active shooters, and worse, every school, workplace, and homestead should have the equipment to save a life. The first aid bleeding control module is meant to provide the items you need to stop hemorrhage. It's compact, lightweight, and has easy-to-read waterproof instructions. If every teacher's desk, worker station, and car or truck had one, have no doubt it would save lives. Available at store.doomandbloom.net. That's store.doomandbloom.net. And we're back. You're listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Now, who was that guy in the ad that claimed he was Joe Alden, MD? I don't know. You know what? I had such a scratchy voice. Uh, I I had a scratchy throat. I had just gotten over, I think, the flu. (laughs) When I did that ad, I sound like some different kind of... Yeah, I sound like a monster. You're growling. I know. Well, sometimes I do growl. It's true. But it is true. It's a harmless kind of growl. Not very often, and I don't take it seriously anyway. All right. <laughs> you're well, a nice guy. And I, appre- and I appreciate Well, you're a nice guy. Everyone deserves to growl a little. I appreciate it. <laughs> In the news, well, sure enough, another important medication that we are in need of mm-hmm. our kids are in need of especially if they're allergic to bee stings and things like that has just undergone an incredible price increase of something like 500 600%. This is an outrage I think by any standard where these companies like Myland which actually makes EpiPen has a 20% profit margin and that's not even anywhere near the top 10. I see here that Johnson & Johnson has 27%, so does Bristol-Myers, Pfizer as well, and thing, places like Amgen and Biogen have 41 49% profit margins. That's insane. This is pretty ridiculous, especially if these are medicines that people need to survive or to save lives like with EpiPens. Well, it's not that they're just gouging the consumer because for the most part, most people do have some form of insurance, whether it's private or through, you know, a government-run program. So they have something. What happens is the prices go up, and the consumer, generally speaking, does not get passed on that price unless the, the actual insurance company does not allow that to be covered. There are certain medications, whether it's blood pressure, cholesterol medicine, etc., that are not covered unless you get a generic. Right. And I don't believe there's a generic for EpiPen. So it is possible that these insurance companies only cover a very small portion of EpiPen and they won't cover the price increase. But if they do cover the price increase, it still causes problems down the line for the consumer because the insurance company is not going to continuously absorb these higher drug costs without passing it down to guess who? 
Right. The in, consumers. In terms of premiums or by changing deductibles. And if you change the deductibles so that you they don't cover the costs of these Drugs until you reach five thousand dollars. You've got right. to pay the first five thousand dollars. Anyhow, it might as well be just paying for it. Right, and and you have to understand. You know, some people will see this in the news. They'll see it on television. They'll see it in newspapers. And guess what? They'll think, well, that doesn't affect me. Well, guess what? If you have any form of insurance, it will affect you because that company eventually is going to pass the cost down not just to the consumer that needs that, EpiPen, that needs the EpiPen. But the 85-year-old that only buys a blood pressure medicine or the 20-year-old female who might only be buying, um, you know, something for an infection that, you know, for seven days. You know what? Let's, uh, before we go further, let's talk a little bit about what EpiPen is. A lot of people that use EpiPens obviously know. But what is the EpiPen for people that don't? Exactly. So the portion of people who do have to get this understand exactly what it is. It's saved their life. Uh, they probably, for the first time, got it when they went to the hospital with an allergic reaction. Right. Many times to insect uh, stings, like bee stings, Very, wasp stings. Exactly. Those, any kind of major allergic reaction can cause a condition called anaphylactic shock. And if anaphylactic shock occurs, instead of having just a reaction from an insect bite, let's say some redness and swelling right at the area where the insect bite or the or the bee sting occurred, mm-hmm. you start having effects all over your body. In other words, maybe difficulty breathing, maybe swelling in, or rashes or redness mm-hmm. in areas where the bite didn't occur or the, or the bee sting didn't occur, then you might be having anaphylactic shock. If it affects breathing significantly by swelling up the pass air passages, mm-hmm. air can't get through and you could actually die. The EpiPen is a very simple auto injector, basically. It's an injection simply that you just take out off the top, you slam it against the inside <laughs> of the outside of your thigh, and it delivers life saving medications that helps eliminate the effects. I'm I'm trying to get a visualization for people to understand the size of this. And you know what came to mind would be something like the size of an electric toothbrush. Yes. The battery part. Not the toothbrush part, but the battery part of an electric toothbrush is, uh, I believe, about about exactly the size. Similar size. So you can imagine that being um, a device that has a needle inside it hidden until you actually we'll say pound it or whack it onto somebody's leg, then um, it auto injects. It auto injects and the needle comes out, enters the skin and pushes in the medicine, which is then quickly absorbed and hopefully stops this whole allergic reaction that's happening. Now, the amazing thing is that these guys, especially the CEO whose name is, uh, it's a woman named Heather Bresch, actually appeared on CNBC by saying that the increase in price increase in prices is related to our broken health systems. Oh, now, so she, she actually is frustrated, she says, oh, yeah. by the price increase. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing about it is that she doesn't seem to feel guilty in any way that the list price of EpiPen is now $608, $608. Per, per pack. So there there are, I mean, I said a lot of people have insurance, but you know what? There's a bunch of people who don't have insurance. And $608 it, <laughs> 
That's insane. That's per EpiPen. And some of them come in a two-pack. Some of them are junior size, and I believe that's just for a single. So you could have upwards of, let's say they give a discount, it's $1,000 for a two-pack. That's crazy. And by the way, folks, it has an expiration date because it's liquid. It, it's not like you can buy this and let it sit on the shelf for five or six or ten years. I mean, you get a few months. That's it. And then you've got to buy a new one because this medicine may not be 100% effective on the date of its expiration. You have got to replace it because this is life or death. This is not, uh, well, I want to lower my cholesterol. If you miss a cholesterol pill one day, you're not going to die. Okay? But if you don't put that EpiPen in with it effective, it is expired and is ineffective or less effective, someone could die. Absolutely. You are playing with people's lives here. And a lot of them are children that have this. I mean, this is serious. Well, what happened previously is that there was a guy who had a chemotherapy drug that he increased the price by 750%. I remember him. And he wound up getting investigated. I think he's in... in, on trial for something, not maybe scam. not even related. So, no, he did something like a Ponzi scam. So something yeah. <laughs> pretty pretty incredible. So don't think that the people that are in charge of our pharmaceutical companies always are have our best interest, interest in in that's right. their mind. No, I don't believe that. Right. I don't think they're evil people, but I think sometimes money just gets the best right. profit, of some folks. The profit margin is the bottom line for them, and the truth of the matter is, it can't be the bottom line. It's got to be people's health. Exactly. And that is one thing that is so important. We have to pay attention to this at any time that people try to pass off these incredible price increases for life-giving drugs. We have to fight it. We cannot give up. Well, in the news, a 6.2 magnitude earthquake has struck central Italy, killing at least 270 people injuring hundreds more throughout the region. More than a thousand aftershocks, a thousand aftershocks have been recorded by seismologists since the major quake hit on August 23rd, 2016 at 3.30 in the morning. Because it occurred while everybody was in bed, it really increased the numbers of fatalities that occurred. It is a terrible, terrible disaster. Besides the human tragedy, numerous historic sites like 14th century churches and things like that have become piles of rubble. Really devastating. The area is part of the Apennine mountain range that forms the central sort of spine, I guess, of Italy. This area is no stranger to seismic activity. There were deadly quakes in 2009, 2012. goes all the way back hundreds of years. There were thousands killed in one particular quake right in this area in the early 1700s. So it is a major area of unstable earth, and boy, it is a dangerous place to be. I thought that being near Mount Vesuvius down near Naples would be dangerous, but I didn't realize how bad this could be. This is only 65 miles away from Rome, the capital of Italy. The United States, especially but not exclusively the West Coast, is also susceptible to natural disasters like earthquakes. The West Coast, some areas of the Midwest also, are located over what we call fault lines. A fault is a fracture in a volume of base rock, and movement of the earth releases an incredible amount of energy, which then causes surface disruptions, 
and this movement is sometimes called a seismic wave. The strength of an earthquake has been historically measured through something called the Richter scale. This measurement from 0 to 10, but theoretically it could be more, identifies the magnitude of tremors at a certain location. Now, quakes less than 2.0 on the Richter scale are common occurrences unlikely to be noticed by the average person, but each increase of 1.0 magnitude increases the strength of the tremors by a factor of 10. The highest intensity earthquake recorded this way was the Great Chilean Earthquake of 1960, which was 9.5 on the Richter scale. Though most people are aware of the Richter scale, you may not be aware that there is a newer measurement that they're using called the Moment Magnitude Scale, thought to be much more accurate for higher intensity quakes. The Moment Magnitude Scale calculates each point of magnitude as releasing instead of 10 times more energy, more than 30 times the energy of the previous one considered much more accurate. That's what they're using in a lot of them now. The Italy earthquake occurred in the middle of a landmass, but if the fault lines had shifted offshore, certain large waves called tsunamis could be generated. And that happened in Fukushima in 2011. You might remember an earthquake of 8.9 magnitude spawned a huge tsunami which caused major damage, loss of thousands of lives, and meltdowns in local nuclear reactors. I think maybe the most dangerous part of an earthquake is its unpredictability. Right now, the state of Florida, where we're from, is under some kind of tropical depression watch or tropical storm watch. They think that there's going to be a storm that passes through here in the next few days. But we have all of this warning to get ready for it. If I have potted plants outside, I can move them inside or I can move them against the wall, move patio furniture around. I can do all this stuff that will allow me to deal with the issues relating to the storm. But not so with earthquakes. Researchers are working to find ways to determine when a quake will hit. But regardless, right now... You usually have little or no warning. So that's what makes having a plan before an earthquake to be a major factor in whether you're going to actually survive the earthquake. Now, this plan of action, you got to share it with every family member, oldsters, children, everybody, even people that don't live with you necessarily. you got to remember that unless the earthquake happens in the dead of night like it did in Italy, it's unlikely that you're all going to be in the same house together. You might be at work, your kids at school, wife doing something else, or your husband doing something else. Making everybody aware of what to do if something like this happens will give you the best chance of gathering your family together and surviving the quake. Now, to be prepared, you need a few supplies, and you certainly want to know what you should have. Well, you need to have non-perishable food. You need to have power bars. You need to have cans of food, perhaps MREs, which are the type of food that the military uses. You just add water, and you have a meal there, hot water. You need, by the way, you need bottled water. You need an alternative shelter. You might want to have a tent because if you are in an earthquake, your house may no longer be as stable as it should be to be safe. You're going to want to have some medical supplies, a good medical kit. There are going to be a lot of people that are going to be injured in an earthquake due to trauma from falling debris, things like that. Of course, you're going to be outside because you're not going to want to be in buildings that are quaking. And so make sure you have a clothing appropriate for the weather in your backpack that I think that you should have prepared beforehand. For the house, you of course, you want to have fire extinguishers. That's very important. You want to have your cell phone. You need to have some money, cash money, because you cannot count on credit or debit cards if the power is down and the power very likely will be down. You should also have 
the materials necessary, maybe an adjustable wrench to turn off the gas or water. If things like this happen, because a gas leak can certainly lead to an explosion in a house after an earthquake, that's important. And also, of course, in addition to paper money, you need papers that are important to you, the copies of important documents like passports, insurance policies, deeds to your house. These things might be a good idea to have readily available, if not the originals, at least the copies. Now, in areas at risk for earthquakes, the school system and municipal authorities usually have formulated some kind of disaster plan. They might even have designated a quake-proof shelter. If possible, this may be the best way to go if you can get there. Make certain to inquire about your town's precautions in case of a seismic event. If you live in an area on the Pacific Rim, uh, the west coast of the country, part of the what they call the Pacific Rim of Fire, an area of volcanic activity and earthquakes and all sorts of stuff like that, then I'll bet that your municipality has formulated some plan of action, has a place that they want you to go, possibly has supplies available for when such a thing happens. Now, besides the supplies that I mentioned, it might be a good idea to get a separate bag that you keep in your vehicle and if you, or perhaps in your workplace. If that's the case, you want to have some food, you want to have some bottled water, you want to have a pair of sturdy and comfortable shoes because if the roads are out as a result of the quake, well, you may have to hoof it home and you want to be able to do that in relative comfort. So that's something that's very important to have a separate kit that is a get-home kit. You may have a fully packed bag, you may have a lot of supplies, but if they're at home and you're at work, obviously they're not going to help you. You need to have some materials, maybe in your vehicle, maybe in your workplace, that'll help you at least get to where your supplies are. Now in the home, it's important to know where your gas, your electric, your water main shutoffs are. Make sure that everyone that is of an appropriate age knows how to turn them off. If there's a leak or an electrical short, you got to know where the nearest medical facility is. That's very, very important. But be aware that you might be on your own. These places and the medical responders that emanate from them to go to your house to help the injured, they're going to be overwhelmed possibly in an earthquake and may not be able to get to you quickly. So that's something that's important to know. Make sure you look around your house for fixtures like chandeliers, bookcases that might not be stable enough to withstand an earthquake. Placing heavier objects on bottom shelves, that'll make cabinets more stable. Flat screen TVs, especially large ones, especially large ones, could easily topple. Be sure to check out kitchen and pantry shelves. The stability of pretty much anything that's hanging over the headboard of your bed, you don't want it to land on top of you. But what should you do when the earthquake hits in your town? Well, when the tremors start, you've got to do a number of things. But the main thing you need to do is remember these three words, drop, cover, and hold. If you're indoors, get under a table, get under a desk, something else solid, and hold on. That's what they call drop, cover, and hold. If you drop to your knees, that's a good idea because it will prevent you from falling due to the shaking and possibly bopping your head on the floor or bopping your head on a nearby piece of furniture. Now, covering yourself, that's important because there are going to be falling objects all over the place during an earthquake, and you want to protect yourself a sturdy table, that would be an awesome idea, I think, if you could get under one. You also need to hold on tight. Everything is shaking, and what you happen to be under may not stay under you as it moves around. So you got to hold on tight to it to make sure that it is protecting you. Drop, cover, and hold. Of course, there may not always be something to be able to 
hide under, and there is no cover available, then stand against the corner of an inside wall. Now, when the building is shaking, you probably shouldn't try to run out, especially if you're on an upper floor. You could fall downstairs. You can get hit by falling debris. Don't try to use the elevators. You definitely need to stay clear of those, as well as windows, any shelving, warehouse areas, kitchen areas, things like that. Now, it's often taught that you should stand in the doorway because of the frame sturdiness. It turns out, however, that in modern homes, that doorways aren't always much more solid than other parts of the structure. And even if they were sturdy, you could still get hit by falling objects. So in and of themselves, doorways are not probably the way to go. Now, once the initial tremors are over, go outside. Once there, stay as far out in the open as you possibly can, away from power lines, chimneys, anything else, walls that could fall on top of you. Now, you could possibly be in your automobile when the earthquake hits. That's certainly a possibility. Get out of traffic as quickly as possible because other drivers are going to panic. They're going to be less level-headed than you. They're going to crash right into you. Don't stop your car under bridges. Don't stop your car, however, under bridges, trees, overpasses, power lines, light posts. They're going to topple in a major quake, and you're going to be in big trouble if you are under them. Stay in your vehicle while the tremors are active. That's also something important. At least you have some cover there. Now, after the earthquake, even after the tremor stop, there still are dangers. You have to remember that you have to be concerned about gas leaks. Make sure you don't use your camp stoves or lighters or even matches until you're sure that all is clear. Gas generators, things like that. Even a match could ignite. Even a match could ignite a spark that could lead to an explosion. Now, if you've turned the gas off, you might consider letting the utility company turn it back on, just to be on the safe side. It's important to know that you shouldn't count on telephone service after a natural disaster. Telephone companies only have enough lines to deal with about 20% of the total call volume at any one time. Most likely all lines are going to be occupied. Everybody wants to know if their relatives are okay, your friends are okay. So it's important to know that you're not probably going to have phone service, although... You could have text service. If you have a phone that allows you to text, you'll probably have a better chance of communicating by texting than by voice due to the wavelength that they use. So that's something important. That cell phone will also come in handy if you're trapped under rubble after an earthquake. That's a dire situation. But having a cell phone with you could possibly help you. Even if voice calls don't work, the text might. Texts might. So text loved ones, social media, anyone that could let people know that you're trapped. Now, if you live in quake country, you might consider a whistle on your keychain. That's not a bad idea. It'll last longer in your voice as a signal for help. So this is something that might be a useful item to have on a keychain or even maybe on a necklace. Now, with any luck, over the course of time, rescuers will find you. So don't give up. You could live several days without water and much longer without food. So hopefully... You'll never be in the middle of an earthquake, but if you are, now you know what to do. Well, that's all that we have for this week. Coming to you from the beautiful state of Georgia, the great state of Georgia. We hope that you enjoyed our show, and we will be back home next week for another episode of the Survival Medicine Hour. Don't forget our website, doomandbloom.net. Check it out. Uh, Look at our YouTube video channel dr bones nurse amy that's dr bones nurse amy and hey 
do an old man a favor, make an old man very happy by following us at Prepper Show on Twitter. Thanks a lot.